Hello and welcome to another episode of Dear Katie, where survivors of sexual assault, rape, and abuse share their stories from hurt to healing. I am your host, Katie Kessner. At age 18, I appeared on the cover of Time Magazine to speak out nationally and publicly as the victim of acquaintance rape. Since then, I've dedicated my entire life to helping survivors raise awareness and end sexual violence. Today's episode with Antoine Ramon is going to, I think, be fabulous for so many of us. We are asked to think about the key to shifting away from trauma and to the healing power of love and respect. In this episode of Dear Katie, join me and my co-host Sandra Miles as we talk with Antoine Magic Ramon. He is an author, a speaker, activist, and an actor. He's also a survivor. Antoine is so open about his life. He is a black gay man who's performed on New York's Broadway and around the world with Hamilton and other shows. His vision as a soldier of love will inspire all of us. Learn more on this podcast about his call for all of us to join him and be soldiers of love as well. Welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. This is Katie Kessner. So today our incredible special guest is Antoine Ramon. Um, Antoine, welcome, welcome. And it would be wonderful for you to share a little bit about your background with all of our listeners. Thank you, Katie. I'm so happy to be here and to just share my voice to this very important topic. Um, I am originally from Blue Springs, Missouri, which is a small suburb outside of Kansas City, Missouri. I was born and raised there. I also went to college in Springfield, Missouri. I am the youngest of a kind of his and hers is what I call it. It's a bit of a Brady Bunch situation. Both of my parents were married once before. They each had two children with those respective spouses. Then my parents met and had me. So I am the baby of all of those children. And um, I grew up in a household with my two older sisters. In 2006, after a couple of years of traveling as a cruise ship performer, I moved to New York, and I've been in New York since 2006, working in musical theater for more than 20 years, and I got into public speaking about a decade ago as I was winding up some work with a therapist dealing with my own sexual trauma. And what kind of got me into the space of speaking out as a survivor is that the work this center here in New York and we'll speak to that later, I'm sure. Um, the work they do is so pivotal for so many people and was so pivotal for me that I wanted to help them in some way, shape, or form. And I told them, I said, I don't necessarily have connections that can bring you the money you may need, but I do have a voice that I'm willing to use. And so if there's any way that I can speak as a survivor on behalf of this organization, please let me know. And that is really what kind of got me into my advocacy work and the first talk I ever gave as a survivor was at a city council hearing, hoping to convince the city of New York to reinstate their public federal funding to this organization. And I was told I'd have three minutes to speak. And in case you've never been to a city council hearing, they run over, time limits are really not abided by. And by the time they got to us at the end of the day, I only had 90 seconds to speak. So I had to edit my talk on the fly and I shared my experience with them and was pivotal in them getting their federal funding reinstated for the following year. 
Wow. Antoine, 90 seconds is <laughs> incredible. I, I mean, that's like a, a shorter commercial than I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. But what, I, I want to, before you keep going, I do want to back up on that moment because, you know, some of us have to be advocates in whatever space or place or time that we're given, right? We have to figure out how do we either tweet it out or press it out in just the most succinct, tiniest moment that we get on any stage, right? Mm -hmm. And so I I myself have been, one time I had to speak at the Final Four to the men's D1 basketball coaches. Wow. And I also had my whole, like you, my whole thing, what am I gonna do to motivate all these? And they were all he pronoun men. Um, what am I going to do with my, you know, seven minutes or nine minutes that they gave me? And I had to think about exactly what would touch their brain and their heart. And I'm curious, you know, for our survivors who are advocating for their voices, for their justice, for their um, authentic, you know, authentic being heard and supported. How did you decide and what did you want to say in 90 seconds? What was compelling? You won. So how did you do it? <laughs> I just knew that if I could be as honest as to where I knew my life was before I got the help I needed and where it currently was in that moment, and I understood and admitted and said openly, maybe I could have come to this place on my own, and there is no way I could have come to this place in the amount of time I did if I did not have the services of this center available to me to do so. And so I just, I spoke to that. Can you tell us? Yeah, that that's a beautiful way of putting it is saying I may or may not have ever gotten there, but certainly it would have been a bumpier, probably scarier, less informed path. Um, so, you know, I want to get to more of your life, but at this moment where you were um, and you had just been through that process, can you share with our listeners a little bit about what that looked like? What what were some of the things that really helped you find, you know, that path to healing? Well, for me, it was individual therapy. And this center, they offer group therapy and many other modalities in addition to that. But for me specifically, it was individual therapy. And the largest space that needed to be filled for me was understanding that my response of freezing in my moment of trauma was and is a valid form of self-protection. And I did not know that until my therapist said those words. I had only heard fight or flight. I had never heard freeze. Mm, And so I, thank you. And I had, you know, from like my initial, incident was at eight. And then there was a secondary from the age of 14 to 15. And that entire time and all the years after that, I had this ongoing disempowering conversation that the reason you froze was because you were weak. And it wasn't until my therapist told me that it takes strength. Like that is also an act of strength. And I can only imagine when you say that too, it what made me think is it's I heard the same as Fiber, but you heard it differently because you're he pronoun, and I think the gender expectation is that you definitely I I can sometimes get away with my narrative, 
on a stage, but I can only imagine the added layers of you should have fought, you should have done something in your, in your shoes. Um, so I think your, your voice is really powerful to our male survivors as well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Yes. And so what else, what else? <laughs> uh, so that was a, a, a big realization for me. And so, and then it allowed me to not only forgive whatever faults I assigned to my younger self, it also allowed me to appreciate my younger self and the strength that he had at that age, as well as to say to him, and I actually said this, I remember saying this in the, in my therapist's office, it's like, I thank you for protecting us. And now I am here to protect you. And so it was really just finding and knowing like I have a strength I did not think I had. And I sought my strength in other ways. First, you know, first it was Taekwondo. I studied Taekwondo for four years, earning my black belt in two years and competed, competed in martial arts for four years. Then I got into musical theater and that allowed me a different type of strength of being on stage and people being able to watch me and this talent I had and people being inspired and intrigued or whatever it was by my talents. That gave me a strength. But I, even up until therapy, I always thought I only know how to tap into these strengths either through martial arts or through performing. I didn't believe they existed outside of those spaces. And in time, I learned they're a part of me. They exist in this being, in the spirit, in this body every single day, not just when I step on a stage or not when I'm in a ring competing against someone else. And so that was also a big shift for me. Think about this, Antoine. I I want to hear two things from you. One is, can you remember any moments before age eight that were part of your personality, but that's secondary to this one. I think about Taekwondo and being on a stage. And when I go on a stage like you, but what's very different is I'm on a stage and there's no, I don't have a script necessarily. And you do, you have a very well-defined script. And I think about the part of sexual assault and abuse that has to do with power and control. And when you are going to, in Taekwondo, you're, you're in control, but you're also reacting. And when you're on the stage, you're also, it's not, um, you're in control, but you're being directed to, you know what I mean? Like it's not free form out there. You can't do whatever you want, but there's also comfort in that power control dynamic that I wonder, you know, some for survivors who are thinking about when do I feel out of control? When do I feel in control? But you have a narrative that tells you what to do that might feel comforting or helpful in a way of negotiating the power control relationship in your mind. I don't, I was, if that makes any sense, you know, like my version of your stage presence is, you know, for 5,000 stages that I've been on, I just go and do it. Like I don't prep. I don't overthink. I feel like I just, um, like somebody has the cane and they push me out there. (laughs) And, and then I, and then luckily I just go and I feel, and I also want to ask one more thing. 
on, when I'm on a stage, I like it because I'm all alone. <laughs> I like it because I'm totally safe. All of you are out there and I get to be up here. And that's like, so people, some people are like, that's crazy. I'm like, that's the safest place for me. There's no people up here. <laughs> like, I'm not going to get hurt. You all are out there. That makes sense. So I, I don't know if that's like, I just started thinking about the power control and the safety of being on a stage and doing our interview today. And I don't know if you've thought about it too. And I, like the light bulb just went on in, in talking to you. So what do you think? What do you think? When I was in high school, uh, our high, we had a performing arts center attached to the high school. We did a big musical every spring, and we would do a student matinee. And so however many students could fit in our theater, which was like 300 or, or so, the students would come and see the show that we, their fellow classmates, were performing in. And that was such an empowering experience for me. And even though I was on stage with other people in different ways, I would stand out to our audience and for what it it gave me such a sense. I was like, Oh wow. I feel powerful. Like this is my house. And it doesn't matter what you think of me when I'm walking through the halls, when I'm on this stage and I'm doing this thing that I know I'm good at doing, there's nothing you can say to me. And whatever you think of me doesn't matter to me because I know who I am in this moment and in this power and in this light and in this presence that I have. And so that has always, that, that was a very early on like space for me to find that where I didn't feel that in life on a daily basis. And, and just a secondary question, you're a male, male of color, um, gay male out and a survivor. Like you have all these complexities of your, uh, not complexities, like awesomeness of who you are. But you know, when you're a kid, I'm sure in Missouri, it wasn't that simple to be all the things you were. And when you're talking about feeling powerful, I, maybe it was like, you're extremely talented. So no one can mess with that. Right. I think that was like, I'm, I'm that good. Like it's the, the person who, you know, plays chess, who cares if they win every match, you can't argue with perfect. Right. If, if you play Mozart, the best ever on the cello, you are the best. (laughs) So I I think that's um, a really interesting thing is for our survivors listening. I'm thinking about, we are all the best at something, <laughs> you know? And the question is, is somebody else going to objectively judge us to be the best or can we find it in ourselves to also own that internally? I think you're very fortunate in some ways, Antoine, because other people said he's the best. You won the part, you won the role, you, you know, you won the competition, you got there in two years, like all the things you're saying. But for some of our survivors, I'm curious what you would share with them on if someone isn't objectively labeling or giving them the opportunity to get the same sort of comfort and power in that success. How would you give them advice? What I've said, uh, I've done some work in New York with an organization called Live Out Loud. And I started working with them, drafting kind of curriculums that could be used at different area high school GSAs. 
And then I quickly realized like, I would rather be having these conversations with the students versus creating what the conversations they're going to have. And so I started going into the schools with the students. And what I've shared with many of them is we all have a passion and an ability for something. And even if the people around you don't understand the importance or the level of that passion for you, you know what that is for yourself and do what you can to learn about that and to express that passion, to do that passion, to live that passion for you, because it's going to give you a self-confidence and a self-empowerment that will be so valuable to you so that even in areas where society may say you lack this thing, you aren't enough in this way, you can create a community and a support system with whatever that passion is of other people that enjoy it, support you, champion you, guide you, um, that will be so beneficial for you. And for me, theater was that first passion for me. And so like, I knew this was a thing that I was good at doing and that I wanted to do and that I could do. And so that helped me combat all of the other ways in which I felt insecure about my sexuality, about what kind of gay man will I be? What kind of black man will I be? What kind of, you know, all of those societal structures and expectations that exist like when I'm in theater, it's like I can be whatever I want to be. And so I would just, you know, and, and to sum that up, just whatever passion you have, seek that, find that for yourself. You'll find more of who you are through that. And you'll find people that will be a support to you that will hopefully guide you in ways that will help you grow more as whatever that type of artistry is. And artistry is not just being creative. Artistry exists if you are creating code, if you are building buildings, if you're designing buildings, if you're doing hair, if you are good with makeup, if you are excited about DNA research. Like you're still an artist. You're still creating what I love about doing this podcast, especially, you know, with all the diverse survivors from all types of experiences, all walks of life, even around the world, there's such heartfelt happiness in such dark spots when you talk to someone who's not even close to your walk of life and they say something, you're like, oh my gosh, you too? It's like, wow, we are not crazy. We're so connected in and sometimes I, I know I'm so glad you're doing public speaking because some of the most like earth shattering parts of my healing journey as a going around the world talking about it were the moments when I knew I was way out of my comfort zone. As you said, I just went and said, I don't know anything about this landscape of people in, in this town or this city or this space. I have nothing in common, as far as I know, except that we're humans. And when somebody comes up to the, at, at the end of the speech, who's totally unlike me, this is what I wanted with the podcast. And it's, some, it's something so heartfelt because they go, I understand fear. I understand pain. I understand very human emotions. And, 
And it's so interesting to me to hear your your story and all the so similar things. Yeah, take it. Take a moment. Um, because it's just it just makes us feel stronger and connected as as humans. And and I'm so grateful for you sharing everything so far. I do want to talk a little bit more about your speaking and your book, um, if we could. Would Gladly. you mind sharing a little bit of Yeah, let's talk about that. So uh, my book is titled Becoming Magic, A Path of Personal Reconstruction. Uh, so within my world of performance, my professional career, I have a nickname called Magic. And that comes from my ability to learn and retain choreography very quickly and to very minute details. And so I just thought, well, Becoming Magic is a very tantalizing <laughs> title. And the subtitle, A Path of Personal Reconstruction, actually came as a quote from someone that was interviewed for my book, like someone in my life. And so the book speaks to my life up to this point. It touches on my sexual abuse, the effects of that, my career, my family life, the failures of my relationships, the successes of my relationships, the way and like what taught, what brought me to therapy. Um, I just tried to cover as much as I could in a succinct amount (laughs) without it being a a huge book. Um, And that all ties to my public speaking and this mission I have as a soldier of love. And so for me, being a soldier of love is someone who is living a whole life, W-H-O-L-E. And for me, a whole life is a life where mistakes will exist, where fear is not debilitating, and where vulnerability is not a weakness. And the reason I chose those three things is because the opposite of those things were true for me for so much of my life. Fear was very debilitating. I was afraid of making mistakes, and vulnerability was was the ultimate sign of weakness for me and the act of weakness. And with that, with what I do in public speaking, with the book, I want to encourage people to find that for themselves. I'm not looking for people to emulate or try to replicate what my process has been or what my path has been because it's mine and what works for me won't work for you. But I want to encourage people to seek that out for themselves. And I just want people to live a life that is a bit easier, a bit happier and where they feel empowered, even when they are going to deal with fear and shame, because that will always be there. The world will always offer that to us. It's how can we be in a place of fear and look at that fear and say, you know what? I recognize fear you need love. So how can I give you love? And I think so many of us look at fear and think it has to be fought against. We have to push it aside. We have to ignore it. It's asking for attention. It's asking for love. It's asking for space. And I think when it's given that space and when it's given that space from a place of love, then it quiets down for a little bit. It might relax a little bit. It might offer us a little more peace than if we try and fight back because that's 
that might be what it wants, but it's not what it needs. And I, I like Antoine thinking about what you just said in terms of also not just our inner selves, but how we relate to others expressing fear. You know, there, there's the fear of your identity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's the fear of, um, how people push back with fear a lot and it comes out with hate. Yes. And if we come back to that with space and love, instead of trying, trying to just set it aside or ignore, as you said, I think we're going to succeed much better. It's like saying, don't say it. Don't tell me you're afraid. I'd rather say to all of our, our listeners, our survivors, our supporters, say, say I'm afraid, say I'm feeling vulnerable and, you know, ask for those around us to give us, don't tell us to stop thinking about it or don't tell us to, you know, I, I think it's, it is a lot of energy loss. I don't know what you think about this idea, Antoine, but one of the things I always keep telling myself is there's a lot of energy spent on trying to push away. And if there's a way to use that and acknowledge it and go forward, it's so much more powerful that even that negative energy or that fear factor or not feeling good enough can push us toward a betterness if we don't wallow in it and we just let it out. I don't know if you have advice in that direction for our survivors too. Yes, I do. And what I've shared with people in my life is that when I am, you know, I've created a different language for myself to express it to people in a succinct way that doesn't require me to explain every iota of how I'm feeling. But when I'm like in a low mood or having an off day, whatever that is for me, And I've shared this with my partner. I said, when I'm in that space, for me, I need to sit in it because I know when I sit in it, I allow all of the things to surface that need to surface and then I can process them and move forward. If I try to shortcut it, it's going to come right back. And I understand the discomfort of sitting in, you know, we we color fear with all different shades, but the base is fear. And then we can color it with embarrassment, shame, uncertainty, discomfort, awkwardness, embarrassment. But at the root of it, it's fear. But when we try to subvert whatever fear we're feeling, it will keep coming back to us until it is addressed and until it is given the space it needs. And so I've just decided for myself, all right, Let me look you in the eye. Let me sit with you, fear. And if I need to cry it out, if I need to yell it out, whatever I need to do for myself privately, I'm going to do that and then go from there. And when we are able to do that for ourselves, then we can find ways to communicate it to others so they can understand what we need for ourselves. And we also learn how to allow it for others and from others. We, we learn how to, when someone comes to us and they need support, we can say, okay, what do you need? How can I help? Versus what's wrong with you? You seem in a bad mood today. Like what's your problem? Or why are you yelling at me today? Or just whatever. And that could be for people, you know, or people you don't know the person in line of, in front of you at the, at the coffee shop or whatever, you know, it could be, 
it could be that minute and even that far removed of, okay, I just encountered a person who seemed to have a real nasty attitude today. Maybe they're dealing with something I have no idea about and they just decided to lash out. It's not personal because I don't know that person. So you know what? Move on with love. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, I think, I, Antoine, this has been just fabulous time with you. Um, I'm so grateful. I I only have one final question. I, I think as we roll out, the only other thing I can think about is into the future, um, as you continue your work to help others grow um, it sounds like in you know so many dimensions, their strength, their resiliency, their their love, their capacity to learn and heal. Um, what's next for you? Like, what, what do you have a next step in oh, mind? Yes. <laughs> what's coming? What's coming? Uh, so um, I am looking to transition careers from performing in theater full time to public speaking full time. Yay! <laughs> yes. Yay! <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, not that you're not a huge talent. I love you on stage, but you know what? I love you on a different stage with you, you know your words instead of um, just you know taking on a, a role. You're so good at that. I think your true self is a gift in and of itself. You don't need someone to write a script for you. You got got it all yourself. Thank you. So that's. Yeah, no, I I'm 100%. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm yeah, excited. Tell us more. I'm excited. What, what spaces and places do you want to talk to kids, adults? It's a mixture. So I have, you know, I want to continue the work that I do as an advocate for survivors of sexual violence and all of that in that complete facet. And then I have a theater education aspect that I'm wanting to develop. And so I my two Broadway credits have been In the Heights and Hamilton. And I've done so as some version of a swing. And so in theater, what a swing is, is I equivalent that to like a substitute teacher. If that teacher is not able to come in, then they have someone else that can come in and perform their duties. And that's what I do within musical theater for the dancing and singing chorus slash ensemble. Both. Yeah, but I think you're underselling yourself a little bit, Antoine, because I read, I didn't even know what that was either. And I looked it up. I was like, Antoine can do anything. <laughs> Antoine's got every role memorized. Like, who's a genius like you? I was, I was like, you are a unicorn. You're amazing. Thank you very much. So, I appreciate that. No, you're underselling. I'm like, I cannot let our listeners not understand that you are you know, part not human here. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the nickname magic. Yeah. Also. And I like it that you're being magic. You are, you are the magic. You're not making the magic. You're not creating the magic. You just are. <laughs> Thank you. And so within the theater education aspect of what I want to do in public speaking is I want to educate upcoming professionals in theater of what it means to be a swing the skill set that's required the temperament that's required the humility that's required also the realities of it the hardships the upsides to it the ways in which it can be a it can offer you stability in a career that does not offer you stability i've been with hamilton for four years plus a gap year of COVID, so five years total. And it is the longest on ongoing contract I have ever had with one company in my 23 years of working professionally in this in this business. And why? It's because I'm not busting my ass eight shows a week and wearing down my body dancing the show because I get 
I'm not on stage every night, so I get to rest. Um, it, it keeps it ex- new and exciting for me because I get to come in and do these different parts and I can see the show as a whole versus this one thing I'm doing every night and I only see that lane of the show. It's fun that way for me. But if that's not where you are mentally in your career, if you want to be on stage every night, then don't be a swing because you're going to be disappointed and frustrated and aggravated. And I've seen that happen to so many people. Also, there is no formal curriculum teaching performers how to be swings in the educational system. And so there's a huge gap of providing work for people who need it as well as educating those people as to how to do it and also educating the people they're going to work with as to how to respect what they're doing. And I just think, oh, they couldn't be, they're not good enough to be on stage every night. Exactly, because we're phenomenal because we can do six of these things and you can only do one. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm excited. That sounds yeah, I, I just want to finish up, Antoine, that, that sounds fa- fabulous, and we will support you, and I, I'm sure all of our Survivors listeners will look forward to, you know, scarfing up whatever of the advice you have to offer, so thank you. I am. Uh, thank you so much. I receive all of that. Katie, I just want to say, and I think I may have said this in an email between us when we were first connected, thank you for the work that you've been doing. Um my, I look forward to the day where we don't have to have these conversations anymore. Um, I want to commend you for being the first in all the ways people don't ever want to be the first and for continuing to be a voice for those who don't have theirs, their own or can't speak up or will never be able to speak to what happened to them. Thank you for creating this space for myself and anyone who will follow us. And I am as though, even though it's not necessarily the group that anyone is going to sign up for, I am empowered and inspired to be along, to be working along with you. Oh, thank you. Those are kind, wonderful, heartfelt, <laughs> and they help me. Antoine, it helps me. This has been a 30-year journey of mine to, to do this work every day, um, and it, it's really hard. Um, I sometimes wish I could swap with you, but I have no skill in anything you do, <laughs> so, so I'll have to stick in my lane. <laughs> Um, but this again, thank you so much, Antoine, for joining us for our survivors, our supporters, our listeners. This has been a Dear Katie podcast. Please tune in next week for another episode. And together we will shout out the silence and end the violence. We're grateful to all of you who have joined us for this episode of Dear Katie Survivor Stories. If you need support but don't know where to find it, please visit TakeBackTheNight.org for a list of resources. You can reach out to our legal support hotline, uh, connect with other survivors through our social media, and you can also help other survivors simply by subscribing to our podcast and sharing it far and wide. Please consider posting it on your own social media with some remark about what it's done to help you, and make sure to follow us on ours. Dear Katie is completely produced by all of us, an amazing group of volunteers. We care so much about this cause. The paycheck isn't what we're doing it for. 
Thank you to all of our volunteers. Thank you to our listeners. And thank you for our survivors, wherever you are, for being present and joining us in this process of growth, strength, and healing. Always remember, self-care is essential to healing and to thriving.